Hey, I'm Gabriel Goldfeder. I'm a Jewish life consultant, a.k.a. rabbi. In the last episode, we looked at Moshe's two mountains. The Torah provided us with a play-by-play, almost moment-by-moment description of Moshe's ascent to the peak of the first mountain, where he was given what seemed to be the ultimate accomplishment, which was to receive the two tablets upon which God had written the Ten Commandments, and he would only have to bring them down and bring them to earth and to the people and to place them into the Mishkan, and that would bring about the fulfillment of his mission and would bring about a new stage of divinely infused humanness and reality. Unlike in Moshe's story, the story of Naami begins already at the top of the first mountain. Naami, who is perhaps best known as the mother-in-law of Ruth, of Ruth, and ultimately the great-grandmother of David HaMelech, of King David, enters the story as the wife of a wealthy and powerful man. His name is Elimelech. And Rashi tells us that he is a sheer gadol. He is very wealthy. In fact, says Rashi, he was Parnes Hador. He was the provider for the entire generation. And that's important because already at the very beginning of the book of Ruth, in the first verse of the first chapter, we see Vayhi Ra'av Ba'aretz. There was a famine in the land. So, of course, everyone will be turning toward Elimelech to provide for them, to feed them. But he leaves, as the verse tells us, Vayelech Ishmi Beitlechem, this man from Beitlechem, Yehuda, in the tribal holdings of Yehuda, left. Lagur Bisidei Moav. He went to live in the fields of Moav. Who, the Ishto, he, and his wife, Naami, Ushnevanav, and his two sons. Why did he go? Why did he not stay and provide for his generation? It certainly seems that he was known as such. He was expected to provide, to feed them, so at least they wouldn't starve. Again, Rashi tells us, He left Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel, to go outside of the land. Literally a narrow eye, or a stingy eye. He didn't want to help. He resented the poor people for asking. He was 
ill-inclined toward the poor people who came to push him. And thus, says Rashi, and for this he was punished. Already, Naomi is teetering on the cliff of her first mountain. She is wealthy. She has an important and perhaps refined and holy husband, although he seems to be losing that designation. She has two sons, whose names, by the way, are Machlon and Chilion. Machlon implies illness, from the word chole, and Chilion implies destruction. So maybe when these kids were named, they already saw the writing on the wall. But we see that Nami is leaving the first mountain, holding on to it, as it were, grasping at least the externalities of success and well-being in the sense that she has a husband who provides for her, she has two sons, and she has wealth. But they are leaving. They make it to Moab and settle down. And shortly thereafter, the mountain begins to crumble. Vayamat Elimelech ish Naami. Elimelech, the husband of Naami, died. She remained there with her two sons, and her two sons married, their wives being Ruth and Orpah. So again, Naomi has been able to establish some amount of stability. Her sons are married, not only married, but we read according to our rabbinic tradition that Ruth was a princess. She was descendant of the great king Eglon. And by great, I mean large. There is an incredible story of Eglon. Not for today. So perhaps she, Naomi, can give herself the sense that she is still on the first mountain. That though she is not in the land of Israel any longer, and though her husband has passed away, her sons are married, they are settled down, they are married to important families in the Moab community, and they are there for ten years. Then we read Vayamutu Gam Shnehem, Machlon Vichilion. Her two sons die. Lawalenu. And so now we have this woman, Naami, Batishaerha Isha, Mishneya Umeisha. This woman remained alone from her husband and from her sons. And so she got up with her daughters-in-law and started to make her way towards the land of Israel. A conversation ensues between Naomi and her daughters-in-law where she encourages them to leave her, to allow her to return to the land of Israel alone. She does this by convincing them that she will not produce a child for them to marry if they think that they will be able to remain married to this family, although why would they want to be? And yet, it's important that she tell them that even if she were to become pregnant that very night, are they going to wait for this young man to grow up? And it is important that they know 
Ki Marli Maod. I am very embittered. Ki Yatsa Bi Yad Hashem. The hand of God has come out against me. So she says to her daughters-in-law, go home. Orpa listens. She goes home. She cries. She kisses her mother-in-law. And she goes back to her father's house. Root, however, for reasons that we don't yet understand, clings to her mother-in-law. She tells Naomi, don't push me any further. Where you go, I go. Where you sleep, I sleep. Your nation is my nation. Where you die, I will die and be buried. Naomi realizes that any further efforts to push Root away will be fruitless, so she walks with her daughter-in-law back to their hometown of Beit Lechem. And when they come into view, the verse says, Vatehom kolayir, everyone was astounded. Vatomarna, and they said, Hazot Naami? Is this Naami? The commentaries tell us that when she left, she left with a great retinue, with servants and attendants. And now she comes back with this strange woman, poor and abandoned. Of course, she knows this. She knows how she's being seen. And she says to them immediately, Do not call me Naami, a name which comes from the word Noam, something extremely pleasant and pleasing. She says, Call me embittered. Ki heimar shadai li ma'od, because God has greatly embittered me. And she's not done. Ani malei When I left, I left full. Virekam heshivani adonai. And God has brought me back here, empty. And she's still not done. Lama tikrenali nami. Why would you call me nami? Badunai anavi. A mysterious word that Rashi explains to mean God has testified against me that I was wicked before him. Ve shadai heirali. And God has dealt badly with me. Here we have the perfect moment where Naomi has two paths before her. One, which she has already identified, is full of resentment and bitterness. She knows she had done something wrong when she was married to Elimelech, even though it seems she had no power in that situation. She feels that she has been punished. She is poor and childless, and as she said about herself, empty. One could certainly imagine a situation in which most people would choose to wallow in that resentment, in that guilt, in that emptiness, and in that bitterness. And yet, we find, by the end of the story, that Naomi is blessed, 
after Ruth, Ruth marries Boaz, who's the local wealthy landowner and is a distant relative of her deceased husband. And they have a child. The women say to Nami, Baruch Adonai asher lo hishbitlach goel hayom v'kareshim Israel. Baruch Hashem, who has provided a Redeemer for your family. A Redeemer being a very specific technical term for a man from the deceased husband's family who will marry the wife, or in this case, the daughter-in-law of the widow, and in so doing will reconnect the soul of the deceased man back into the family. Baruch Hashem, that you have that. And these women tell her, This child, this new family, will be for you a way to restore your soul and to provide for you as you grow old. Because look, your daughter-in-law, who loves you, has given birth. Isn't he better for you than seven sons? And perhaps now, perhaps now Naomi has realized what a blessing it is. And she takes the boy close to her and she becomes his nurse. And not only that, but the women of the community who saw her come back in such poverty say now of her, look, Naomi has had a son, even though it is her grandson. And, says the verse, not just any son. They called him Oved, who Avi Yishai, Avi David. He is the father of Yishai, who is the father of David, the father of King David. We'll have to understand, what was it that allowed Nami to climb this second mountain, which led to so much blessing? so much tranquility and so much peace. What was it that allowed her to not fully identify with that bitterness that seemed to characterize her life so much? These are the questions that we'll have to explore as they provide the outline for the path that leads up Naomi's second mountain.